Hello and welcome to another episode of Called to Serve. Today you will be hearing from Joyce Hancock. Joyce was ordained in 1987. She served as Director of Christian Education at First Baptist Dartmouth, as well as a missionary overseas in Indonesia and Brazil. Today, Joyce works with Northwind Family Ministries in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Joyce spoke with Dr. Melody Maxwell and her research assistant, Sammy Diot, about her ministry to Brazilian youth living on the street, some of the challenges and advantages of serving as a single woman, and how she's been mentored and encouraged by the support of other women in ministry. I I felt the call at a really young age. I can't say exactly what age, but I often talked about it. Although my parents were, were very clear on the fact that my decision to follow Christ had to be mine, and I had to make that decision myself. When I was in my very early teens, or even before that, I, I would tell everybody when they'd say, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'd say, I'm going to be a missionary. And because many of my family members were teachers, I felt that that's what I must be equipped to do. So I always said I was going to be a missionary teacher. My real goal was to work in Christian education. I taught for a little bit, uh, not very long, just substitute teaching after university. Uh, CBM had a recruiting uh, weekend and uh, they needed a teacher in Indonesia to teach the children of two families that were there at the time. So as a brand new teacher, I probably took on a really big mouthful, but I was excited to get going and to get into missions. And I said, oh, yes, I'll do that, even though it was a world away. And my parents said, could you possibly go any further away? And I said, I don't think so. I think I'd be on my way back if I went any further. I was working with two families, the only single person there. And uh, actually, that was a really stretching experience for me. Uh, I found it lonely many times. And the only others that were anywhere near my age were the students. There was a lot of incentive to try to learn the language. I learned a lot. I learned in some ways to, uh, to speak up for myself. Because I grew up assuming that when God calls you somewhere, he calls you forever to the same place. Um, that wasn't so. At the end of the four years, that was the end of that. At first it was, what did I do? You know, what, what happened? Uh, but I, I see as I've carried on and now as I can look back, I can see that God had other plans. Uh, when I came back from Indonesia, I'd already registered at Acadia because I just had to get that Christian education degree. Uh, and so I started in January of 84. I found at ADC the professors were extremely encouraging, which is excellent because there's no use offering a place for women in, in ministry if they will never be able to get a job. I started at First Baptist Dartmouth in 85, I believe, as their Christian education director. I remember the, the senior pastor there at the time wasn't really anxious for me to go into ordination right away. A little bit of a feeling that, that that was not particularly important to him. And I was also called director. I was not called minister. Subconsciously, I assumed it was because I was a woman. I think it came up, not from me, because I never had the fighting spirit to, uh, to bring it up, but I think it, it came up in the congregation sometimes because I remember hearing things around it. Why is she not called minister? And as a woman, initially, I didn't need to receive as much pay. I think it was some of the women in the congregation, when it came around to budget time, they made a big deal about the fact that I was earning much, much less. But what I heard from the lead pastor later on was, 
Oh, wow, you're getting a good increase this time. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I felt very loved in that church, and I felt very cared for in instances like this. I left Dartmouth in 93, and the church people were very kind to say the only reason why they would let me leave Dartmouth was because I was going back overseas. My heart was in missions. So 93, I went to uh, Brazil I was part of an experiment in language education. In Indonesia, I had to figure out how to learn the language on my own. And in Brazil, they did send us to a school, but instead of going to the south of the country where there was a Baptist-oriented school, they decided to send us to a Catholic school right in Brasilia because that's where we were going to be working. And they thought we could learn the language and work at the same time. This time I went to work with street kids who do not speak any English, so I really had to learn the language. So, so then I was working with kids who really did live on the street, and we didn't just call them street kids like in, in Dartmouth. And in order to survive on the street, they generally got involved in drugs of some kind. Uh, yeah, fairly often alcohol, but, but uh, the real kicker was the drugs. Uh, in, the, in the area where I was working in Brasilia at that time, it was mostly cocaine. Uh, I went to be part of a team that was to try to reach out to these street kids and they really didn't know what they wanted us to do. They just kind of said, do what you can do to be a witness for them. So I, I did that for 11 years. Uh, as time went along, I moved more from working on the street, trying to get to know the kids who were living there, to running a rehab center along with some Brazilians. Uh, and that was because the kids themselves said that they needed two things. They needed to get off the drugs and they needed to be able to learn some skills so that they could get into life instead of always being on the edges of it. And so our program was fairly different from other programs in the area in that we worked with teenagers under 18. That requires a lot more rules with the government. We worked with the young people. We fought for them in court. We tried to get them back into school, worked as hard as we could to get them into church. We could see that if they did not try to make a change, a lifestyle change, and, and we found they really could only do that by becoming Christians because that would change their whole way of life. They wouldn't go back to their old habits. They wouldn't go back to their old friends. If they could really make that change, then they had all of life ahead of them. If they couldn't make that change and went back to what they were trying to leave behind, they generally lost their lives in it. For me, it was a different kind of ministry. It was a life and death ministry. We had a lot of success and we had a lot of failure. That's how it goes with drug recuperation. They were hard years, but they were very good years. Uh, now, talking about women in ministry, the uh, Brazilian Baptist Convention did not ordain women. They did not appreciate the fact that I was an ordained woman. So I found that I was very often on the rejection side of things. I was often out of the loop. I don't know if they even liked the work that I was doing because I was working with marginalized kids and, and troublemakers, really. I, I'm not sure that a lot of them even liked the work that I had been asked to do because my work was very much in the community. I didn't insist on being called a minister or anything like that, but just knowing that I was, and I was a woman uh, and a single person on top of that, it was just easier for them to pretend I wasn't there than to have to deal with what they thought about of women and men. When I first went, there were a number of, there was one family and one uh, of CBM missionaries and one other single person. 
That single person was soon moved to Africa. Uh, the family had been there for a, a number of years teaching in the Bible school. And then they moved back to the south of Brazil where they had been teaching before that. So for a, a good number of those years, I was alone in Brazil. There were times when I wished there were others around. And in uh, other times I was quite happy just with the Brazilian colleagues. After the rehab work, CBM said, uh, they told me to pass the work over to uh, the Baptist Convention. Uh, and I, I began a work, uh, the Lord had planted a vision in my mind uh, a few years before that, to try to begin uh, in a community around the area, to begin uh, more of a preventative work, to try to help kids not go to the street, try to give them courses and uh, introduce them to uh, churches and, and try to help them find a lifestyle that would keep them off the street. Some of the Brazilians uh, helped me form a work that uh, carries on today and I'm still involved in it from a distance to help a community which is probably the most dangerous community in the area. It was the community that I most had kids coming into rehab or met them on the street. Started out uh, the first year, uh, rented a little place, and, um, and I said to the Lord, if this is really your will, Lord, then you have to make the kids come. Uh, we really don't have any money. And so we said, Lord, you, you just take care of that. You show us what to do. Uh, we had a tremendous response, outgrew the, uh, the two little rooms that we were renting. At crucial times, I seemed to have to go home and furlough. Talked to CBM about what I was doing, said I would leave CBM because uh, that was the work that I felt God called me to. And the person who at that point was general director said, no, you're not gonna leave CBM. You know, we'll do something to help you out and <laughs> keep you there. And uh, so I was 10 years uh, working with this ministry and helping it to grow up. We started helping women with coursework so that they would be able to get jobs and generally tried to minister in the community. Uh, even though we were Baptist background, we tried to minister to everybody. So we were seen as an interdenominational entity more than anything. And, and the staff members that we took on were from some of the different churches in, uh, in the town of Aguas Lindas. So it really was an interdenominationally run organization. And as I said, I'm still involved in that today, but from a distance. I left uh, in uh, the latter part of 2014. Uh, my mom didn't know she needed care at that point, but my dad had passed away several years before. The Lord specifically said to me, uh, through some of the things that she was asking me about and, and complaining about, the Lord said, you need to go home. The first year that I was home, uh, helped with my mom. She was still fairly independent. Uh, she wasn't quite sure where I got that idea from that I should come and look after her, but it really didn't take too long for her to understand that, yes, that's what, that's what God had in mind. The Lord has been really gracious in that before I even came to Canada, uh, he put it in my mind that I would be working with Indigenous people. By the second year, it must have been 2016, I saw a, a counseling course advertised online, and it was talking about counseling, learning counseling skills for non-counselors, for people that uh, are in the church and want to be helpful. And I thought that sounds interesting. I think I'll take that. At that particular course, I started hearing about Northwind. And I thought, I've never heard of that before, but it doesn't matter. I don't know what that is. And I now work for Northwind. 
They do professional counseling. They now do a family strengthening program that brings families from Northern communities, as well as families from the city, mostly Indigenous families, to be able to work through some of their issues together in a counseling situation. Um, and on Sunday evenings, they have, it's not really a church service, but there is study time and, uh, and a meal time. Uh, they asked me to work in that area that needed developing. So now I have a couple of Bible studies going. I've started a worship evening. Uh, I have a, a prayer meeting with the older Indigenous women in their language. And I found that it's a phonetic language, so I can sing along with them because I can do the phonetics. I don't know what I'm, what I'm singing technically. Uh, and, uh, and I take part in the Sunday evening. They call it the gathering. So I am, I am just thrilled. God has given me the best of the best in a sense. I can teach my heart's content. Uh, actually, since I've been there and, and have been helping to build more things so that people from the counseling aspect of it can be invited to come, others from the community come. It has become more of a church in content. Not that, that they don't do counseling, they certainly do, but there's just much more going on. And the executive director, who is a wonderful Christian woman, uh, has said a couple of times, amazed at herself, she said, I have always said this is not a church. I'm beginning to think it is. A little differently than what the traditional church is, but yes, it is. And I thought, wow, that's a big change for her. In Indonesia, they said they, they loved the work I did, but they would prefer that I was married. And, uh, and that is not what I felt that God had for me. I always have wanted to be very much involved in ministry. Uh, nothing against being a wife, but I didn't feel that that was what God had wanted of me. Uh, in Brazil, I think sometimes the church people expected uh, to be working with a couple or, you know, a married person. But they had worked with uh, the church that I worked with, the Baptist church there, grew out of uh, Southern Baptist roots. And Southern Baptists also did not ordain women, but they had an awful lot of single women on the field. So they were not unfamiliar with single women working in some area of service. But had I pushed the limits and, and wanted to be recognized as a pastor, I think there would have been a lot of trouble with that. Now, being single, I think in some ways opened doors for me because I was involved in ministry and I was freer to do things as they opened up for me. Actually, when I worked with the street kids, when I first went to Brazil, I spent a lot of time on the streets, getting to know them, trying to help them to trust me. I often went to the places where they hid out I was often out at night uh, and technically dangerous, but God always took care of that. I could not have done that as a, as a married person. I don't think a husband would have allowed that. And as a mother with responsibilities for children and that, I would not have been able to be that brief. And actually I had many female single mentors. Uh, at First Baptist Dartmouth, there were a couple of women who were uh, older than me, uh, very much involved in ministry, single and uh, had a great effect upon my life. Even as a child, the lady who uh, at that time was leading Dorian Bible Camp was a single female missionary, uh, and uh, she had quite an influence on my life. I think a lot of it was the dedication of these women. Being single, they were able to respond to situations or, or conditions even, uh, living in certain conditions because they were just taking care of themselves and not taking care of children or something like that. I can look back with 
real delight in uh, the friendships that I had with them and the encouragement that they gave me. And I know, for example, uh, one of the ones in Dartmouth was a lady that I shared an apartment with. She was alone at the point where I came and she said, if you're interested, I'd love to have a roommate. So we, uh, we did that, shared expenses. She had a lot of expertise. She had been teacher for many years. She was very involved in the church. But I found too, besides the wisdom she could share with me and the way she did things and the way she thought about things, I found that she often was the one that stood up for me. When I would come home and talk about something that happened or I didn't like it or I was feeling awful about it, occasionally she would say to me, that is not your fault. That's the fault of the other person who's responding to you. And I, it, to me, it was just kind of like a light on, not that it was a blame thing, but to understand what was going on. But she, she recognized it right away. And so there were a number of women that helped me out. I think, I think one thing I would really like to say, and I hope it's been obvious, Throughout the years, my path has changed. I feel like it has been of God's leading, uh, at least, yes, as I look back on it, sometimes it's easier looking back than looking ahead. It has been of God's leading. And I just praise the Lord for he, how he has taken the different situations for good or for bad and worked them out in my life and, and helped me to focus upon him. I try to make sure that people in the ministry that I'm in right now understand that God can do a lot for them. Partly because with their history, they sometimes have difficulty believing that. It's a lot of different problems to work through, but I trust that God has me there for a reason. And uh, part of it is because I have worked through some of the, some similar difficulties. And I can testify that God has the strength for all of that. Uh, God didn't say that he was always going to lead me to easy things. When I was young and, uh, and probably not thinking about the number of years as they go by, uh, I said, I think I was 18, and I said, Lord, I don't care how many years I live, I just want them to be exciting. God has made that very, very true in my life. Thank you, Joyce, for sharing your story with us. You can find more information about Called to Serve at calledtoserve.ca or by emailing us at calledtoserve at acadiau.ca. Thanks for listening. I look forward to sharing another woman's story with you next week.